Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Okay, uh, good morning, everyone. This is Mike Valentine, CEO of NetSmart. I'm excited to introduce a couple of people to focus on um, hospice care and palliative care today. First, I have Jim Parker, who's the editor of Hospice News. Jim spent 20 plus years in healthcare and policy. He's joining us today, I think, from Chicago. And uh, he's a resident expert for policy in the hospice and palliative care industry. So, Jim, thank you for joining us today. And before we go too far, part of your bio has a mention of uh, your descriptor being a swashbuckling feats of high adventure, bring a joyful tear to his salty eye. So haven't met many pirates from Chicago, but love to know the context of that one. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. I, I was honored to be asked uh, to join this conversation. In regards to the bio, you know, I, I enjoy pursuing new experiences. You know, I want to experience as much as lo- of life as I possibly can even some of those pastimes can be mildly dangerous, but um, they, uh, as I said, bring a bring a tear of joy to my <laughs> eye. Uh, another word, there is kind of a, a method to the madness of my unconventional bio is that people remember it. Right. So when I get in touch with them, hey, I have a few questions about this story. Uh, more are likely to remember who I am and um, perhaps be a little more responsive. Well, perfect. Well, uh, we appreciate you joining us today, and I will definitely remember you. <laughs> uh, also very memorable is uh, Dawn Edding. She's the general manager for us for our post-acute business here within NetSmart. She's been in healthcare for also 20 plus years in a variety of technology roles. And she leads the charge for us in, in all domains, including what we're going to go deep on today, the hospice and palliative care. So, Don, uh, welcome and thanks for joining us. Yes, glad to be here. So today we're going to um, touch on palliative care. And just to set the context, uh, NetSmart serves a lot of market uh, community-based providers that play vital roles in, in the healthcare landscape. And uh, over the, the last decade, what we've witnessed is more and more of a physician overlay into the markets that we serve. And so this integrated physician role, it, it makes sense. And it was accelerated by the pandemic as more and more services were pushed into the community or the home. The physicians followed the high acuity portions of that population. And so I think what we saw in the pandemic is a precursor to and maybe an accelerant to what was already going on, which is more and more so um, the physician will play a key role in the service provision to all parts of care, whether it be behavioral health, care in the home, hospice, hospital in the home, uh, SNFs, and, and things of that nature. So we're excited to go deep on the palliative front today. And, you know, one of the things that uh, happens with all of these models as they emerge and get a lot of uh, momentum in the marketplace is if you, and and Jim said this earlier, if you ask 12 people, you get 12 different definitions of what palliative care is. So we thought we would start there with Jim to give the context of, you know, what what is the core middle of the fairway definition of palliative care as it's defined and evolving today? 
Uh, I would say, you know, there are a lot of different models that exist for palliative care, and, and many of them have validity despite their differences. But uh, I think that there are certain defining characteristics that are essential. One is that it has to be interdisciplinary. You know, you have nurses, you have a physician, as you mentioned, social workers, perhaps other professionals, you know, depending on the patient's needs. I also think the care has to be aligned with the patient's uh, goals and wishes and, you know, include that psychosocial piece as well as the physical symptom management. And I think perhaps the most crucial point that, that needs to come across is that palliative care is not the same thing as hospice and patients should have access long before they reach the last six months of life. Right. And Don, from your perspective, how do you see palliative care evolving, emerging in, in our client base relative to the technology needs as well? Yeah, I would, you know, as I think back five years ago, it was very much, you know, kind of a small murmur of a conversation in our client base, right? Everyone kind of uh, dabbling in that. We have a very large percentage of our clients are we're kind of one of the market leaders in hospice. And to your point, Jim, palliative care is very interdisciplinary. And so who better to provide palliative care services than our hospice clients and agencies that are already set up in those care delivery models. And what I've seen over the past five years is tremendous growth. You know, some of my clients are actually predicting that their palliative care census is going to actually exceed what their delivery is in hospice. And for sure, I've also heard from them, you know, it is a very important education point because they are a hospice. They have to do a lot of education with the patient to, you know, make sure that they understand there is a difference in palliative care because people are still, you know, maybe not in the spectrum of ready to, you know, accept hospice. But the, the value that these organizations are already set up to provide from palliative care delivery is there. That's kind of the model. It's uh, one of the interesting trends that we've also seen in our base is uh, almost a rebranding around a more genericized descriptor of the continuum of services they can provide. So what used to be categorized as, you know, hospice, now they're seeing that they can use those same skill sets across a broader continuum of, of services as those services evolve. And so they're rebranding around new names, you know, and taking the hospice out of their name in, in many cases. And I think it's a very smart move because, I, you know, healthcare is this interesting beast that you grow up and you kind of align to reimbursement models. But as delivery models evolve, um, you know, reshaping your organizations and your strategies and the reimbursement models that follow that, I think is a really bright idea. And we see that happening in our, our base. Um, Jim, one of the things, you know, so if you think about the evolution and, and some people say, you know, uh, palliative care is reaching 5% of the potential audience that it, it could be reaching. So if you, if you think forward and think about what the average provider needs to do in the way of preparing their organization from an infrastructure and a people perspective to support the potential growth opportunity that's there, what are the kinds of things that they should be thinking about today? You know, providers are doing what they can with the resources at their disposal. You know, palliative care is generally not a moneymaker for these organizations. 
Uh, some still support their programs through philanthropic donations. And, and so I think a key piece is continued education and advocacy to help, you know, dispel some of the misconceptions and, and you know, offer a, a wider range of knowledge about palliative care. You know, I, I think more providers are looking into value-based contracts through programs like Medicare Advantage, ACOs, or some of the other alternative payment arrangements that are out there. Um, they're also pursuing partnerships, I think, with other providers. You know, one example is, you know, they could work with a primary care provider and say, you know, we'll provide this additional support to your patients and, you know, maybe share in some of the cost savings that are generated through reduced hospitalizations and so forth. I think to achieve, you know, any of those, uh, you know, relationships or, or build those partnerships, they need data and they need to have, you know, a robust system for collecting and interpreting that data, whether it's the, their own quality and patient outcomes um, whether it's uh, their track record on reducing high acuity care, those ER visits, those hospitalizations, you know, those are the things that those partners, whether it's referral organizations, whether it's payers, whether it's, uh, you know, other providers they can collaborate with. I think those are the things that they are looking for. I think that there is a learning curve for working in these programs, especially for hospices who have always been dependent primarily on the traditional Medicare benefit. You know, a lot of them are, aren't as experienced with negotiating terms with, with payers and understanding, you know, financial risk within those models. So, so I think that they need to definitely take steps to make sure that they're going in armed with all the information that they need. I also see a lot more investment in technology Probably the most obvious example is telehealth, which allows them to have more touch points with patients with greater efficiency. But there's also systems like predictive analytics, remote patient monitoring to help patients in need if, you know, to help identify patients in need of palliative care or respond more quickly to changes in their conditions. Very good. Uh, Don, what about your perspective from a systems or solutions perspective? What what are you hearing from our clients of the need today and, you know, how that may evolve in the near future? Yeah, again, kind of going back a few years, I, I think as, as hospices started into, you know, the palliative care delivery, there was, you know, a big change in 2018 when, when CMS proposed a change in the payment rules for E&M services by physicians it came along with it, the mandate that they have certain technology platforms uh, in play, particularly an ONC, Office of the National Coordinator, certified platform. What that means is platforms that have that status are able to do all the data quality uh, tracking and reporting that are required to participate in the reimbursement program. So what that ended up resulting in in our industry, particularly for hospices, is you know, not having the right software technology underlying. We saw a lot of people moving to the ambulatory physician practice software to try to solve for that, um, that change in the rule, but that doesn't really work because kind of as we've already talked about, hospice or palliative care delivery is interdisciplinary, right? And that is very much unlike those ambulatory softwares out there. So, I mean, that's one of the things that we, we, we did uh, for our clients is to, um, take our hospice platform 
ONC certified so that our hospices could also run their interdisciplinary palliative programs and meet all the qualifications to participate in the reimbursement models. And that's been a huge request really, um, you know, for the whole industry, but certainly from our clients. Right. And, and we see it as a major uh, investment area for us as we, we continue to kind of follow the puck uh, as it moves forward. So Jim, you mentioned something and I hear it a lot from our, our hospice and palliative care CEOs, which is we love the model. We believe in it. We believe it produces better uh, outcomes. We think it's a great growth opportunity for our organization, but we're not making money on it today. And as you mentioned, uh, many times they're aligned in the form of value-based care programs. And um, so what, what advice or what, what, what do you see as um, steps that providers can take to see success in these kinds of models then in, or many of them have not contracted in value-based care models in, in the past. So this is all uncharted waters. So what, what advice would you give the providers today and as they look to enter some of these new agreements? The one that I already alluded to is the data. Um, you need to be able to demonstrate your value proposition to the payer in these value-based contracts. Um, you also, you know, need to be able to engage in these discussions as a collaborative process. You know, you, it has to be a negotiation. You can't just uh, accept the payer's terms off the bat. You know, just as hospice providers are often inexperienced working with private payers, private payers are also inexperienced working with hospices. So kind of working out uh, the care model that meets the payer's financial goals with the, uh, you know, the, the palliative care provider's model of care that would most benefit their patients. Um, hashing out those details uh, is, is extremely important. So I think, you know, the data is key. And as part of that is that education process also that we alluded to earlier. Many people do not know what palliative care is whether that's you know, other clinicians in other fields, whether it's the, the payers um, or just uh, the general public, some of whom may, may benefit from those services. You know, I think uh, providers working in value-based models need to understand you know, very in, in intricate detail their, their anticipated utilization, their related expenses, and where they can build in efficiencies and cost controls essential to maximizing those margins. You know, I, I also think that they could benefit from some public advocacy, from working with lawmakers, with policymakers, with CMS, making their voice heard, commenting on proposed uh, regulatory rules, writing letters, engaging with policymakers, even inviting you know, like their local member of Congress or a state representative to uh, you know, visit, their, visit their offices, maybe go ride along in some patient visits. Because a, a lot of these value-based opportunities are very limited in terms of geography. You know, some of the demonstrations you know, are limited to certain markets, uh, leaving some patients and providers out in the cold. And participation among the payers is also optional. A large contingent of Medicare Advantage plans, for example, do not offer the palliative care supplemental benefit. 
So I think that, um, you know, there is a certain degree of advocacy that's needed to expand that access. Yeah. You know, I, I think your point on yeah, experimentation is a, a very good one in that each one of these programs, you know, this is new for everyone and, and evolving for everyone. And so I would say there, there's a lot of uh, experimentation on the payers part on how they think models should be played out in different regions. And, and I think that speaks to your point on the, the ability to negotiate. I think if you're starting from a point of both parties entering uh, relatively uncharted waters, there's opportunity there to have more of a, a give and take around the definition and um, the boundaries. So I think that's a, a very good one. What Don, anything you would add to that from what you're seeing in our client base? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, my experience with talking with our clients and observation is they want to jump into these programs. And the CMMI demonstration projects that have, you know, come down the pipe, like the seriously ill uh, population program, which didn't get off the ground because of the pandemic, right? But primary care first, um, VBID, all of these uh, models, really all of our clients want to participate in. And it very much goes to the point that you said you had made a couple of times, Jim, and that is it's data. They have to have the underlying technology to collect the data, have the interoperability to be able to share that data. Um, participation in these kind of programs absolutely requires that your technology foundationally um, support them. But I, I think there's great willingness. They they know they need to kind of for their future and they and they want to. And um, it's a, really about the, the infrastructure and having the right skill sets in their organizations to do so. Okay, one final uh, question for both of you. If, if you take out the ball and look forward five years, you know, what does palliative care look like five years from now? So how prevalent is it? What are the technology and infrastructure requirements, you know, evolutions? What's your prediction for five years? I'll let Jim, I'll let you go first. I think that the, the greatest success that I would like to see is that everyone who needs hospice and palliative care will be able to get it. And I think to get there will require attention to many of the issues we've been discussing, sustainable reimbursement, addressing the workforce shortage, you know, greater public, uh, public education and uh, working to dispel misconceptions around palliative care. You know, I, I think that no one provider can solve those issues on their own, but I think improvement can be achieved by working collectively, by engaging with other stakeholders like payers, referral sources, and government to some extent. I think that the recognition is growing of palliative care and its potential to improve quality of life and reduce costs. Uh, the wheels are turning a little too slowly for my taste, considering the number of people right now who could benefit from those services. But I think that in time, we will get stronger reimbursement for palliative care. And in our system, the healthcare options that are available to us are largely defined by what you know, somebody who's willing to pay for. Um, and, I, and I think as, you know, uh, access to palliative care expands, as the results come in from these payment model demonstrations, you know, the, there will be growing recognition of what palliative care can achieve. I also think that demand for hospice and palliative care will grow substantially. And, and the most successful organizations will be those who can, uh, you know, 
not only deliver, but demonstrate, you know, through their data that they can deliver high quality care while maximizing efficiency to ensure that they can do the work with the labor pool that is available to them. Don, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I really agree with everything that, that that you said, Jim. And you know, ultimately, if we get have that reimbursement model, so that there can be full scale participation in palliative care programs, you know, the the downstream effect to that also is that you know many more patients and families will get that connection to hospice care as well because they'll have that smoother transition. You know, they will have gained that trust and understand what the value really is of, um, you know, of hospice so that, you know, these short stays in hospice care really go away. You know, that to me would be if I, if I dreamed into the crystal ball, what would happen? That would be what I would hope for. From a technology perspective, it's hard to predict five years out, as you know, Mike, we have to react to the, this, this shifting winds in a very fast pace, but we're already seeing it you know, more and more um, just primary care work even being done by hospice organizations as they expand their role and think of themselves more as a care management organization, which means they need different types of tools to do population management at on a whole different level. So that's kind of what I see kind of coming down the pipe. It's really already here and we'll just be all that much more mature as uh, as we get into it. Great. Well, I wholeheartedly agree with both of you. And Don, I think your, you know, descriptor is perfect. It's a it's a transitionary bridge that connects current care delivery models to hospice in a in a much smoother way um, and fills an important gap for chronic conditions that are persistent. And um, I think the reimbursement model, I'm optimistic that the reimbursement model will get fixed. And uh, so people will be rewarded for playing a, a role in this and my, so my prediction would be, I predict palliative care services will be four times the volume, will be four times the size as it is today. So we'll keep the video in the drawer and pull it out in five years and see how close we come. But uh, great conversation today. Thank you both for taking the time to, to be a part of this. It's a really important part of the care continuum and it's uh, evolving very rapidly and both of your perspectives are, are very well appreciated. So thank you again for taking the time and we will um, circle back with a new topic shortly. Thanks very much, Mike. Yeah. Jim, thank great you. meeting you, Jim. Sorry, great meeting you and um, uh, good luck with the swashbuckling. <laughs> Thanks. I love your articles. So I follow you. I yeah. appreciate that. Very much appreciate the work that you do. Thanks so much. Thank you again for having me. I hope, I hope you both take care. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.